Welcome to How It's Met, a podcast about medical innovators and taste breakers. My name is Abdo. And I'm Jeff. Together, we explore the exciting stories of leaders in medicine and in the medtech industry. Hey, Abdo, I'm sorry, but I think we found your replacement for the show. You what now? Yeah, this guy we interviewed, Upkar Tatley, has done such an amazing job of combining a plethora of roles, such as being a firefighter, leading an innovation firm that deals with public health issues such as the overdose crisis, founded a nonprofit that serves racialized, underserved populations, and is leading on various civic committees and boards. You're right, big man. That's pretty much everything I've ever wanted to do and more. Where's my pink slip? Wait, no, I was joking. No, 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 it's okay. Let's get started, though. That's, that's a super interesting take on the role of technology in healthcare overall, because as far as I've read and I've heard in healthcare, a lot of, it, a lot of solutions are supposed to target specific user bases and to, to focus in on those bases before finding alternative uses. And that makes sense in a purely let's develop a solution and then make sure that is a sustainable point of view, but in the point from the point of view of an ethical crisis in terms of a lack of equity when it comes to access to resources to keep people alive or living good quality of life, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, just for our audience, do you mind telling us a little bit more in detail what exactly the technology is that you've been talking about? Yeah, uh, the Overdose Intervention app, uh, includes well, the website, social media, but the app itself, um, it is a free app. Uh, it's available on Google and Apple. Uh, for free downloads, uh, we did our launch, thought launch in January, but then we just went full bore, you know, a couple of weeks later because the needs were so high and overdose deaths were just stacking up. And so what it is, uh, it serves multiple functions in that it allows people to start to identify what an overdose is, um, in their own way. So it has multiple languages that people can toggle between. So, uh, but we, we learned from community that. Sometimes they don't access resources because it's not in their, their language, their native tongue. So it's got multiple languages. It has an inbuilt 911 calling feature. So at any time you could trigger 911 if you realize, oh, this is indeed an overdose. It goes through the steps on how to respond, uh, the first aid responses to an overdose, the exact protocols for it. Um, I forgot to mention that I used to be a firefighter, first responder. So some of that stuff went into the app as well. Um, and then, um, uh, also how to administer naloxone. Naloxone, it's new for a lot of people. In fact, we never had it when I was a first responder. Um, so, um, just administering it, uh, the needle can be quite daunting for a lot of folks. Um, but yeah, that, you know, the key also in the app is it helps you identify an overdose. And that was important to us because a lot of people simply who realized that their, their son or whoever had died had just assumed that they were in a deep sleep. We have a lot of people from the construction trades, long haul truckers who would return home and their mother would be under the assumption that this, just, he's tired. That's all it is. He's, he's in a deep sleep. He's snoring oddly. The weird sounds is an odd gurgling. Oh, he's tired. That's all it is. And unfortunately, oftentimes it would end in an overdose and so, so the app does walk you through the, how to identify an overdose. Now that was really important to happen. That sounds 
That sounds really good. It sounds like it's a step in the right direction, but what do you envision being the end here? What is, what is the problem? What is the problem we are fundamentally trying to solve here at its core? Yeah. I think when I was talking about, um, othering the challenge, I think the end goal, uh, for myself, at least in my professional capacity has to be creating awareness around the health challenges that to such a degree that we no longer leave them on the person suffering from stuff. We do, when we hit a crisis point, like we have with overdose, we do turn to community and say, look, we need all ads on deck. And so when we can get that to a knee jerk reaction, where that's the first reaction that the, the health authority takes, that, uh, medical professional take that, uh, NGOs take that, that, that that's imbued into our response that people think right away to community, then that's that's job done. I mean, I know it goes well beyond that, but I think in my capacity and I do it through technology and innovation, uh, others will do it another way. But I think that's really my goal is to help people understand that we cannot continually, um, ostracize people who are suffering from a, a crisis. We need to get everybody involved. We need to have compassion and empathy. We talk about those words, but the only way we're ever going to get to those points is if we have dialogue, exchange, and engagement, and compassionate involvement in a crisis. That's really where change is going to happen, and I think that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm constantly trying to chip away at. Awesome. Thank you for that. I guess on... So I lost my train of thought. Give me a sec. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I think about it too, it, it really came from my mention uh, firefighting and a first responder. I remember the first time it was one of the earlier calls that just getting out of the justice Institute. Uh, one of the earlier calls I went on and I was with the crew and it was, an, you know, it was, a, an elderly patient going through cardiac arrest. And I remember the captain and lieutenant, but I was just a junior, whoever, right. And uh, we walked in the room and there was this chaos and. I remember one of the lieutenants brushing past me and she won't, she won't take service, right? She won't take, she won't respond. She's not listening to anything at the moment. And I looked over and I recognized immediately that she could have been Middle Eastern, she could have been South Asian. I'm not too sure even to this day, but I did notice that she was laying down and I, I was able to kneel on her other vacant side. And there was a shawl and I just pulled it up. I pulled it up and covered her. And I remember in that moment, she called and she turned her head and looked at me. And we had a moment of clarity or, or acknowledgement and everything settled. She stopped hesitating and she was open to having medical intervention. And I mean, I, I remember that gesture and I had these big folks firefighter Gordon's family as they could get the time. And all it took was a gesture of a shawl being placed on this elderly woman. And the guys and the crew were able to start start protocol. Um and I I think I carried that with me in some of the work I do is having those that awareness and that sensitivity 
that we really have to be tailoring our response in healthcare and in interventions in innovation to the individual needs of community. And if we can do that through technology, if we can have our technology adaptive, if we can use AI to ensure that technology is adaptive to the needs of every single individual, we will go miles towards ensuring the better health outcomes uh, and overall community and society outcomes if we can focus on those kind of initiatives. So I guess what's stopping this community-based approach from being mainstream? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes I do feel like I think linearly, I think maybe that's more of a, probably a social scientist of some kind could probably answer that. I don't know. Um, my feeling, my gut feeling is that there are, there's structures that exist, that have existed for so long. And like every human tendency, we just get used to adapting and adopting those things. So I could enter a space and I'm going to listen to my predecessors and do what they tell me to do and watch them succeed in doing it and just adopt those practices. So you almost do have to have that disruptive mindset and that ethos built into you, but say, okay, that's great, but how can it be done better and differently? And so we can ultimately do serve our, our, our patients or serve our community member, uh, better for better outcomes. So part of that potentially is a community response like you're talking about. Um, but the uptake to it and getting people to, um, understand it and then ultimately adopt it, that's a huge part of the work. It's, it's, it's tremendous amount of you know, back and with it's going to take to lobby governments and health authorities and whoever powers the be start changing infrastructures that they're just accustomed to for, well, frankly, for centuries now, you know, to walk into a space and say, well, you know, what if we try this? Cause we now have data that shows that a community-based response coupled with technology, it works. We can save lives. And not only do we save lives, we make lives better. So how will we try it? Um, but the response you often get is, well, you know, this is how we do it. We've done it for so long and it's kind of what it is. Right. So I think we're in a great place now. I think it's very exciting. I think now we are seeing a sea change in terms of the uptake and individuals who are interested in investing in innovation, science and technology to help communities respond to a crisis. Um, and I don't know where that comes from, perhaps technology has forced people's hands, as it often does, um, or it, it is also a literally a generational change that's happening. There's a whole younger crop of people who are stepping up into positions that are launching these things, whether it's uh, medical professionals, people involved in innovation, uh, and then also the people who are now delivering communal, community response. That's a whole generation of people that is, that, that is seeing a turnover. And so it's a very exciting time. And I think, I think we'll get there. I always believe we're going to get there. I think the, you just got to dig your heels in and drink a lot of Gatorade. <laughs> Haven't heard that saying just yet. So we've talked a lot about your story in terms of how you've been really involved in community and how that theme of community, um, melded with your background in technology, in data to help create uh, what you envision to be a community-based 
innovation of sorts when it comes to at least the Naloxone app. By, uh, for full disclosure, you came to us for, from a referral from uh, Adam Torpy from the Surrey Health and Technology District. Um, and that was in the context of Oxus Machine Works. Now that is kind of the tech side of your background. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Oxus Machine Works, is, uh, that's why we exist. We, we uncover gaps in the healthcare system that have gone gone on for a long time and you know ultimately do lead to uh worsening of health outcomes for individuals or community-wide and then we tried to figure out a way to address those health challenges through technology um you know it's 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 a nice little thing i just i mean it's easy to put it that way but addressing those needs is often a challenge um you know we're working on a few technologies now that are emerging um, and for, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm coding for one right now, but, uh, in, in, I think in 2021, um, and I just, and I talked to somebody about this yesterday, um, I'm really anticipating the launch of four different technologies that are going to be tailored to certain crises that we've identified. And, and I, I, at year I can definitely use the word we, because I, I couldn't do it without a team. I couldn't do it without, um. And it's not just, you know, side stores. These are people who come from all different backgrounds. I work closely with someone who's in a uh, master's in public health and it, and her involvement has been, uh, it, it's such a blessing just to a fresh set of eyes, see a problem the way I don't. And I really do value that. Um, um, we're going to be onboarding some new people and I'm always looking for people who perhaps bring a different lens into the work. And, uh, I think that's really where it be parallel, um, and perhaps not necessarily parallel, but where you do jump as a jump off point with the different fields, that's really what excites me and leads to good innovation. Um, that seed was planted in me very early on. I was at the Michael Smith lab at UBC and we were doing, uh, it used to be called the Terry project. It was me and like five people who came up with something called the Terry project. And, um, it, it ended up culminating in something called UBC TED Talks and UBC Connect. But the family tree to that was the Terry project. And the whole intention there was, uh, I remember it was myself and oh man, I can't believe I remember this name, but it was Mike Rivers Bowerman. He's an amazing guy. We really got along. And it was coupled with three students from the art and it was to demonstrate the fusion of the sciences and the arts and how, um, they work in tandem and how much, um, the sciences really needs those, those, the arts to get things done. And so we were able to bring amazing speakers together, uh, you know, Dana Suzuki, Vedanta Shiva, a whole bunch of really cool people just explore that a little bit. And I think I've carried that over. I hope I do. I hope I do justice to it, but I, I do strongly believe that, um, uh, the sciences and innovation technology, it works hand in hand with the art. So I'm always trying to bring people on board to the team that, you know, although, you know, we are a tech company, so you have to have certain, uh, qualifications, but if you do have a kind of a bent to you where you, you are partly this creative, that, that I'm all about that. 
So there, there are two clear questions here that I want to ask, but I've already asked one of mine. So Abdul has, has to ask the other. Um, one of them is what is your process in terms of identifying these problems with Oxus and then developing solutions? Because having a clear insight to that would be really interesting to see how your team operates differently from others. But beyond that, and the question that I'm going to ask is, you know, um, Tell us, tell us a little bit more about your team right now and what makes them unique. I know you've to told me a little bit about there, there's someone with an epidemiology skill set. Why all these diverse skill sets in, in a health tech focused, uh, uh, I guess, company itself? Yeah. Well, that's your first question. Um, you know, the way we, we tackle challenges, um, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, it really, I'm a big believer in walking the walk and having the experience. I'm not going to work on a technology and release it to the market based on something I, on a whim or something that I feel will generate heavy revenues for us. Um, it'd be great. Uh, I'd love to mine our pocketbook, but I mean, who doesn't like cash, but I think I wouldn't be able to sustain myself, um, mentally. On that, I, I need to be deeply vested in something for me to really make a technology what it is. I need to be vested wholeheartedly in terms of walking the walk. And so, um, with that, I, either I'm involved in the work already somehow responding to a crisis, or I'm walking the walk alongside the community. And as I mentioned before, um, because we are an NGO on the other side of things. I work with community and I have access to quite a number of people of different walks of life. I mean, take Zurich, for example, we have the highest urban indigenous population in all of BC. We have the, the most black individuals live in Surrey, BC. We have the highest South Asian population in Surrey, BC. We have the highest, uh, student enrollment of people in high school and elementary school in Surrey, BC at topping, I'm pretty sure over 80,000 now. So you can imagine the great wealth of information and, and, and data that we're, we have accessibility to that we have, that we can, uh, tap into. But that's only because as I mentioned before, I work with community, our program service community. So oftentimes if there's a crisis that's emerging or has emerged and has presented challenges, I'll become aware of it. And then we'll sit down with our team and it's kind of now starts to answer your second question. We we're able to sit down with our team and, and perhaps I'll bring team members to a, a clinic or a coaching thing that I'm working on to let them see what, or talk to individuals as well and, and get that feedback. But ultimately that's when we start to strip things down and put on that disruptive mindset and just say, Okay, how can we tackle this and how can we, how can we put a new spin on it? Or how can we just, you know, totally dismantle it, have theory out and then throw everything into the offer and see what comes out. And so when I say everything into the offer, the offer consists of people with multiple backgrounds, whether they're coming at it from an AI approach, uh, microbiology, um, you know, uh, the computing scientists data science as a pro. So every, we get all hands on deck and we kind of rip it apart and just say, okay, this is what we can do. And this might be that solution. And then we start to do that. We, and then what we'll do is we'll do a field test. Uh, I mentioned that 
and with this recent technology, we did, we did that early on in June. So we'll just deploy it, do a field test, gather some data, go back in there, shop it a little bit, and then release it. So that's kind of the the approach we take. Well, it's not kind of it is actually the approach we take. And I think the main thing, the theme in all of that is that everything we do, it's heavily community influenced and it will continue to be. It has to be. Uh because not only will it sustain me on a mental level, but it also will end up being the technology that's best tailored to the community. Um uh, as I mentioned before, oftentimes solutions are created somewhere in a lab and just give it out and just say, here, this is what we think is best for you. So good luck with it. We hope you stop dying. Right. That, that obviously doesn't work for us in the past. All the way back to dying. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is all fine and dandy, but then how do you facilitate for others to, you know, hold the mantle with you so that it's not just you leading the charge? Yeah, I, um, and again, it's, it's life lessons. I learned early on deport stewardship. Um, and these are lessons that I'm still learning. I'm sure of. I'm no, by no means an expert, but, um, I have people around me who kind of, uh, if they were up in the wrong way, what I, what I, I start talking about. Uh, exit strategies and exit plans and stewardship. Man, are you leaving? Are you, are you exiting? Are we, are you forcing us to leave? But I, I want to myself always think that way, but I want my team members to think that way too, because the project, the work and the overall vision and mandate cannot be tied to a individual. Um, at any point you could check out of a process. It's the process and the end goal that is way more important than the constituent. And so I'm really trying to view every single person and myself with that all the time. So, um, stewardship is really, really key. So how do I do it? I ensure that everyone really understands, uh, the process it's not this kind of, you know, up cards, the, the wizard behind the curtain and can't go over there and who knows what he's doing and how he's creating this stuff. Um, I try to unpack it as, as best as I can. Uh, one of the individuals. Uh, that I'm working with now, she doesn't have a background in some of the stuff, um, or neither do I around, uh, uh, marketing communications, but we're able to go get her some training to get her up to speed on that stuff so that she could also operate in that sphere. So it's ensuring that everyone, um, is able to bring forward what their needs are in terms of training, education, skills. We're able to meet those needs and then let's just walk the walk together, right? Let's just ensure that we're all on the same page. There's a lot of transparency where we can be transparent. Uh, obviously we're R and D, so not everything can be transparent. Um, but, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how we do it. So I guess from my end to conclude, it'd be closer to, we have a problem and we're trying to do something about it by working as a community. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. I love it. Great. And just to close off, um, we usually give our, our guests a little bit of time to talk on their pulpit about something that's close to them. You've talked about community and all the different issues that face your community. Is there one specific issue that's at the top of your mind right now that you want to take a minute to, to speak up about, um, apart from what you've already yeah, done? Yeah, we need to, you know, I, I, I've gone panel and I, and I said this very openly, I said, I have no business being here. I mean, there's nobody 
who wants to hear from me. I'm not the voice you want to hear from. The voice, voice and voices you want to hear from, they're not here. And they weren't even invited to this table or this, or this uh, symposium. And those are people with lived experience. Those are people who walk the walk with certain challenges. They're the ones who know it better than anybody else. A guy like me can talk numbers, data, science, technology, and, you know, and put people to sleep real quick. But what you want is you want somebody who could speak from their soul about what a health challenge has done to them and their loved ones and how it, how it's impacted them and how it continues to impact them. Because those voices, they will tell you exactly what you need to do. And then the problem is, and if I'm permitted this pulpit, is, you know, we don't do that enough. We do it sometimes, but we don't do it enough. And we do it to a certain extent sometimes, just, but it almost feels like a patronizing notion. Like, oh yeah, you know, we should check off. We, we invited a peer to the table, done, right? But to authentically invite a peer, listen to what they're saying, that act on those, bar, uh, on those inputs, that's where we need to get to. So my encouragement to um, every single person involved in the work that we do, um, involved in the medical field, involved in, in, in the social field, like, to government at all levels, is get those voices to the table, listen to what they're saying, and then start to act. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Met. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmet.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time, bye-bye.